Ahoy, and welcome in to Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Bigler, social worker and life enthusiast, alongside my podcast partner, Mariska, of Three Tooth Patterdale Terrier, answer your questions about mental health, how it works, how to get support, and I talk about dilemmas that I've been facing in my work as a school social worker and a therapist in private practice. This week, I was talking with uh, one of my students who's a, a fan of the podcast, and I'm a big fan of her. And she's like, you should talk about me on the podcast. And I said, well, I've already talked about you on the podcast. So what aspect of you? Because you're a very complicated, multifaceted person. And I said, I could talk about your difficulties with um, chronic pain. That's always unfortunate. I could talk about your difficulties with persistent depression. That's really annoying. I could talk about how you have experienced trauma in the loss of a friendship and how that's been really impacting your ability to move forward. She said, yeah, I think you should talk about that one because I don't hear anybody talking about that. And again, I'm, we talked in that, that episode about gaslighting yourself. She is often gaslighting herself about, does my trauma really count? And she's done therapy and she's done medication and she's done partial hospitalization programs and she's done individual outpatient programs. And I am trying to get her and her family to consider something more mm, experimental, like cognitive, or, well, transcranial magnetic stimulation, perhaps esketamine treatment, um, EMDR, which is eye motion desensitization retraining, um, anything, something that's different because she's stuck in her treatment. But what I really believe is that and I've said this before when talking about trauma, that nothing is going to really work until she learns how to believe she deserves to get better. Until she learns to believe that she is worthy of love and that the pain that she's experienced is not her fault. I've talked about her before in that she wrote the best owner's manual of herself that I have ever seen. Uh, we've talked about she's so tired of meeting new therapists and how they ask you all the same questions. And so she did it. She sat and wrote this like six page thing. Like, here's the story of me and here's what you need to know. And here's what I want in a therapist. And here's what I don't want in a therapist. And I thought, what a great gift. And I've read it and I gave her some feedback and pointers because I know her pretty well. And I've said, okay, well, we also need to make sure that, you know, one of the things you really hate is when people talk about well, maybe your pain is just due to anxiety and that really triggers you. So she's like, oh yeah, got to add that one in there. But the key is the defining things. There, there were a few things that happened in her life where she, growing up, she was really, really difficult to soothe from the time she was a baby. Her wiring was a little bit different. She had a hard, very hard time detaching. Going to school, was incredibly difficult. Getting her off of her mom's leg and into the kindergarten classroom. And it was extra exceptionally hard because her mom worked at the school where she went. So for her mom to, okay, I try, I'm gonna drop you off at class. She actually ended up having to put her on the bus and to get that separation in the morning and the teacher coming out to the bus to get her, but they, they figured out a way. And her parents have been so fantastic in accommodating her needs. And again, there's a difference between being helicopter parents and being overly accommodating. But her mom just naturally sensed what she needed. The problem is the rest of the world wasn't that good at that. And so she felt super, every solution creates a new set of problems. And her mom being as excellent as she is, 
created a different problem. Is that like, wow, I'm really comfortable with mom. And separating away from her was super, super tough. But over time she did and she developed. And she was though always lacking some confidence. And as she hit middle school, she went through her own ups and downs and difficulties. And toward the end of middle school, there was this period where, you know, peer relationships got extra hard. And she found a friend that also had her own difficulties. They bonded and they connected. They both been through stuff emotionally. And she was there for her friend through some really hard times. And that made her feel good about herself. But as her friend's mental health decayed, and she worked so hard to try to keep her friend afloat, she became more and more exhausted and scared. And her friend at times would make statements that were truly scary, that she was thinking about suicide and then not respond and not answer her phone. And she would go with her mom over to her friend's house. And it just became truly a trauma for her time after time. And while she was dealing with that, her father became extremely gravely ill um, with a kind of a, an illness that um, many people don't survive from. And fortunately, in his case, he did. But for a few period of a few weeks or like a little over a month, it was touch and go to know if he was going to. And meantime, her aunt had a heart attack who was a very healthy person. So all these at the same time, all of these shocks to her system were coming. And then to top it off, that friend who she had invested so much in found a newer friend and just kind of cut her off stopped responding to text messages, stopped wanting to hang out, and the feeling of rejection and devastation that that created. It rocked her self-esteem to the core. And when everything in the universe is coming at you, it's very natural to start to say, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem. Again, what I say to her all the time, and what I say, you hear me say on here, is that, well, if we took ourselves out of the equation, And we said, okay, would this be anybody else's fault if all these things happened to them? Or would it just be some really nasty, you know, pranks that the universe was playing on that person, really nasty coincidences, a series of them. But it isn't, none of them were her fault. And yet she says, well, I am the common denominator. All these things are happening and here I am. And when I've done all the good that I can possibly do, all the universe has given me is rejection. And again, on top of that, pain every time I eat, discomfort. So how should I believe that the universe doesn't hate me? And even if the universe doesn't hate me, I kind of hate me because like my body is tough to live in. And I know I have some of these good things. And there are people who adore her and think she's wonderful and want to get to know her better. But it just feels like work and and she's afraid. She's traumatized of opening up and truly letting herself love and care and be interdependent, interconnected with someone else. Because she was so wounded by the loss of that that friend relationship. We think of, I, I think the English language has so many words and there's so many wonderful words, but where the Greeks really have us beat is in talking about love that I think they have four or five words for love. They have like philos, which is that brotherly love, and eros, which is a more romantic love. And there's a love between parent and child. And we've just got the word love, whether I love the Chicago Bears, or I love pizza, or I love my wife, or I love my kids. And those are all really different kinds of love. 
The love that I have seen in female friendships is not like anything that is described um, by just the word love. And I think that's why Sex and the City, the show, became such a phenomenon. Because it was something that women had known about, always. But men, I mean, again, not a lot of men were watching Sex and the City at the same time. I remember being a young man when it came out and thinking, like, what is this? Wait, what's the show even about? These women and their friendship? I don't, I don't get it. Because men don't experience friendship in that way. We don't love our friends we might say though there's a great movie with jason siegel and paul rudd i love you man and but it's <laughs> i'd say i i only know that this type of friendship exists because i'm so blessed with the job that i do that i get a peek past my privilege <laughs> i'm a privileged man i've got all the privileges i'm white male cis het you know i can read i have i can walk i can do all the things english is my native language and you know so i've got so 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 many privileges and i get a peek in what it's like to not have those privileges in talking to my clients and they help me to understand oh like here's a new angle and it's endlessly fascinating for me and i'm so thankful for their patience and i've gotten to hear about this this love this longing and the devastation when female friendships fall apart and when there is a friend breakup or a friend is choosing to invest more time in a different new best friend and our society might say well that's just silly you shouldn't care about that it's just a friendship and it's definitely not just a friendship and there are women have friendships like men have friendships as well they have friendships that are just more they're a connection but they're not that kind of interlocking love that if this person was torn away from you it would be like losing a spouse or a child or whichever and so the grief that is experienced at the end of a friendship, when a friendship is falling apart, and especially when it feels so one-sided that we didn't, that you didn't get to have any choice and any agency in that. And how can you open to that? I, and I, so I wish, I in my own mind, and this only exists in my own mind, but it's it would be friendship spelled with a Y instead of an I, like this 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 friendship that exists for, and I suppose it could exist for men; they're potentially capable of it. But this friendship that is a love. I talked. I talk about the difference between a crush and a squish. A crush is again that we feeling many of us are familiar with, where we're kind of in love and we're just obsessed with a person. Um, and it can even be a celebrity, it can be anyone, but just we get endorphins just thinking about them. We get, we go out of our way to see their picture, to hear their name, and just can't get enough of them. A squish is the non-romantic version of that, where we are just kind of obsessed with a friend. So after hearing about that, one of my students was telling me, she, she oh, Mr. Mangler, I've got a squish for you. <laughs> like, oh, that's great. You know, I squish you right back. Uh, but that's this this thing. We can we can be obsessed with each other, and women are more used to that. I can be obsessed with this person, love them in a way that is non-romantic, but is still integral to my survival. Why might that be? Well, again, for me, I believe everything starts with evolution, and I look at the pride of female lions. And I see that they are more dependent. So again, the way men win the game of evolution is by, you know, quantity. You know, like they're just trying to have, you know, mate with as many different partners as they possibly can and let the law of numbers work it out. And for women, it's about, first of all, finding a quality mate because childbirth is dangerous. And if 
you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm getting the healthiest possible offspring. Then, once my offspring is born, I might have to even chase the male lion away. He might eat our kid because he's dumb. Uh, so now I have to, like, rely on my girls to help me to feed my offspring. That we are going to help each other out. So female relationships are as important, if not more important, for women winning the game of evolution, for having their offspring. Because again, you didn't win the game of evolution as a woman just by having offspring. You're trying to get your offspring to survive and pass on down the generations. And so whether you're a pod of whales, a herd of deer, whatever it is, we see this pattern over and over again in nature. We see men are useful for their function, <laughs> but when it really comes down to survival and passing things on, it is having your, the other females around you are going to help that to endure. So when we talk about that loss, how do we begin to heal from it? She's like, I don't even know what the steps are. So one thing I want to get more training in, and I've referenced it here before, is this thing called cognitive processing therapy. In cognitive processing therapy, a therapist who is trained takes you through a series of uh, essay prompts or write journaling prompts, and then they process that writing with you about the trauma. And it's not about saying, does this one count? It counts if it's affecting you. Stop gaslighting yourself. Stop saying this one doesn't matter enough. If it's impacting you, and in her case, this loss of this friendship is impacting her life to the point where she cannot make new connections, and therefore she is miserable, and it's, it makes it difficult for life to move forward, and it makes her feel like she is not worthy of happiness and love, so her depression becomes persistent. So does that count as a trauma? Yes. So now, in cognitive processing therapy, we will work with this trained person, and it's usually about, from what I understand, 8 to 12 sessions. It's not a forever thing. So figuring out a person to begin to process this, someone who is trained in grief processing, she may need to try things like hypnosis or, you know, again, anything else. Again, what, how, what does EMDR do? How could that work? Well, if we're having that negative feeling, then we might be able to learn to move our eyes in a certain pattern to stop the brain chemicals from forming in our mind so that we can not get overly anxious, so we can stay with the moment. Uh, there's a great podcast, Nate Altered States of Context, which uh, they talk about the experimentation in using psilocybin and LSD and things like that in allowing people to get a new viewpoint. I am not satisfied with the state of mental health treatment. I think we need to be open to trying new things. I think it needs to be researched. I think we need to use people who have, like, ideally you don't want to be the guinea pig for things, but do your research and find out. Are there people who will just try to take your money? Yeah. So do your research and ask around and find out. Find people who have actually tried it and what their experiences were. And just because it worked for them, it may not work for you. But if what you've been doing hasn't been working, then we have to try something different. And if pulling the covers up over our head and just sleeping, if that would fix it, then I would be all about that. If giving up worked, but you're not gonna just burst into sparkles, you're gonna keep existing. She said, sometimes I, I almost wish I was suicidal because then maybe people would take me seriously because she is much more depressed than a lot of people who I have who've made suicide attempts. There are 
a large subset of people with depression, very severe depression, who will never consider suicide. But that doesn't mean their depression isn't incredibly serious and their suffering isn't in need, bad need of being addressed. In her case, I said, I don't think it's that people aren't taking you seriously. I think they just, they have run out of what they know how to do. They've given you all that they got, and now it's time to stop working with them and trying someone who can offer you something different. Because people, if you keep coming back, they're going to keep offering you. They've only got one trick. They're going to they're gonna keep offering it to you. So now we have to go off the beaten path sometimes. But in her case, and in most cases of persistent depression, I think it's not going to get better until it's not about the right pill as much as it is about the right viewpoint and belief system about I am deserving of feeling better. I'm deserving of love. I can be able to let go of my trauma. So if you have questions about treatment of any sort, you may email me and I, you can email Mariska at my email address, daniel.bagler at live.com and rate and review the podcast because remember, it makes Mariska's pause feel better when you do that. So until we speak again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. And remember, you are just not allowed to die. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Pause for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog, Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.